and I hit rock bottom. I was absent emotionally, mentally. I was just there physically. I was fortunate. I haven't never had capital T trauma in my life. I had a family that was super supportive of me as a child. And I had parents that took care of me and food and safety and, and so on. So I was really fortunate to have that. The way it registered trauma for me when I was young was in the way that I'm wired. And I come from an immigrant family that's like, you know, came here with 20 bucks in their pocket. And when we were very, very small, uh, so I was a year and a half. And like many families that are in that mode, it was all about the education and getting to security and stability. So the only options for me was like, you know, you need to work really hard. You need to get good grades. You need to go to a good school, become an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer. Like those are the only safe fields to get into. And it was all about that. And so I pretty early on absorbed that. And it was all about survival and like trying to get the love that I was seeking for my parents. And so what I ended up interpreting was I'm a type three in the Enneagram, which is all about recognition and reward. So my fear and security was not feeling accomplished. And so I did everything. I invested to the point where I didn't have very many friends. I chased the grade and it wasn't, I was one of those kids that was like, was A wasn't good enough. I had to get the A plus. So I'd go up to the teacher and it's like, what would it take to get the A plus? You know, and I would get all the trophies and rewards. My parents would be recognizing all of that. I even created a ton of sibling rivalry because we were all chasing that like love and affection that we interpreted came through the praise of getting these good grades. So I did all of that and you could see the cracks in it because when I got to 11th grade, and it was a two-year course in a British system. I did nothing. I went off the rails. I was like sneaking out my window, dating a guy in the military, like trying like alcohol and like doing all these things, crossing all these lines, not studying at all because it didn't matter. All I cared about was the grade. So I would do the bare minimum to get the A plus. And you'd see it when I got to MIT in my first year, it was pass fail. I was out of control. I mean, I was like skipping classes and like, going to all these parties and staying up all night and like all of these risk, risky types of behaviors and activities because the grade didn't matter at the time. So you could see the cracks in the system of like the amount of pressure that I was under. And when I was released, you know, I was doing these kinds of behaviors, which led to like challenges that I had in my relationships. I couldn't sustain any relationships long-term. I was always about just accomplishing stuff. And like, I had all kinds of collateral damage as a result, you know, and I prided myself on well, I'm kick-ass. I get stuff done. You know, I'm one of these badass women. So I went into the automotive industry. I didn't realize at the time I couldn't have stuck out more like a sore thumb. So it was like in the Midwest, it was in the engine division in the factory where they gently actually manufacture these, these engines. And I came in as a, <laughs> the general demographic was like white male over 40 with kids. I showed up. I was ethnic, small woman, young. I couldn't have stuck out more like a sore thumb. I didn't even know. I was one of those I'm an engineer. I take names and kick ass and whatever. And the things I ran into, I mean, I ended up getting restraining orders. When I left, I had, I went for me these goody two shoes, get good grades to like, I had two tattoos. I smoked, I cussed. I had restraining orders. There were people like ex-cons. I got kidnapped once at gunpoint. Like all of these experiences that were like, when I look back, even how I tried to deal with that and how I try to cover that as like, I'm just badass was trauma. Like it was reinforcing my trauma for me. And so I wasn't really myself. I was a chameleon, like type threes are. Whoever I was around, I would be, I didn't even know who I was. I was like that woman in the movie, Runaway Bride. She didn't even know what kind of eggs she liked. It was always the guy she was with. That's what I was like. I had no identity outside of chasing what other people thought I should be. What I thought they wanted for me to be successful, to feel successful, to get the recognition reward. And that's what my whole life revolved around. So I had no deep relationships, even with my husband. We had all kinds of issues. And, you know, and then with my kids. I didn't even, 
I didn't connect with them. I checked all the boxes of what a parent is supposed to do, but I had no connection. So when I came to Google and I hit rock bottom because they're all rock stars. So I wasn't a rock star, an obvious rock star anymore. It was like your dime a dozen. So I wasn't getting that validation that I was seeking my whole life and used to getting. So I hit rock bottom and I was depressed, bordered on suicidal. I got very, very down on my inability to be successful. And I realized that when I looked at my kids, I was not even connected to my kids. They were seven and nine and I couldn't even lean into helping them. Like I was absent emotionally, mentally. I was just there physically. I checked all these boxes of what should, should be done. So my journey started there from like all of these things that I'd experienced and who I'd become as a result of what I'll characterize as trauma, but it was like lowercase t trauma that I absorbed and inherited over time. And, you know, through that journey in the workplace, I mean, I ran into all kinds of issues that I tolerated, including sexual harassment that like just made me feel smaller and smaller and put more of a mask and an armor around being this kick-ass, badass woman that gets shit done that disconnects from emotion, except anger. Anger was the only emotion I acknowledged publicly. Otherwise I had no emotion. Not, and I didn't have it. I had lots of it. I didn't show any other emotion other than that. So that's probably how it played out for me. There are so many things I want to explore in, in what you've just said. But the first thing is you said twice, oh, it's little T, it's not big T, it's little trauma. And I wonder what invites you to classify it that way. Because when I'm listening, I'm like, that's some pretty heavy stuff you've been through. Or my invitation to you is I don't want you to minimize your trauma. I don't want anyone to minimize their experience because they're comparing themselves to someone who's gone through so much worse. And I think, again, that's something we tend to do. Oh, it's mine's not that bad. Other people have it worse. And therefore, I do not deserve the level of compassion or care or attention or attunement or validation for these past experiences or for what I'm going through. And I think that also keeps us like separate from each other when even though the experiences are different, the emotions that we go through and the blocks that we have to living a fulfilled, connected, peaceful, powerful life are the same. So I guess I just want us all to belong with and through our trauma and our healing rather than move into this space of mine's not as bad, yours is worse. Cause I see that all the time. Do you see that? I guess the reason I do it is that I want to honor and not dismiss what I would consider at least the physical event as far more traumatic than mine. I've seen both sides of it. I've seen folks that have been through capital T trauma and then are offended even by others suggesting they've been through a similar kind of thing or have been through. So I think that's probably part of my sensitivity to it is like, you know, when you think about whether it's, you know, genocide or Holocaust or slavery or any of these things that have caused collective ancestral trauma that like still lives in the day to day. It's a little bit of an honoring, I guess, of like the magnitude, at least visibly of that. But I will completely agree with you. And Gabor Mate talked about this, which resonated for me. It's not the event that occurs. It's how you interpret the event. So when I read Realm of the Hidden Ghost, I think it's called by Gabor Mate, one of the things that struck me that you've talked a lot about that I love is this concept of attunement. And one of the things that he shared was our ability to tune in to what someone's feeling emotionally and not discount or dismiss is in fact the thing that allows for that opening. So I try to do that for others, but I think you're right. I'm like, I've dismissed it for myself in an effort to create it for other. And in that vein, have maybe like actually contributed part of the problem that we see. Thank you for your time, your presence, and your receptivity. 
the better we understand how we have decontextualized, the more we can begin to co-create a kinder and more intelligent world. If this episode stirred you, please like it, leave a comment or share it. To learn more about my work, visit nataliarachel.com or connect with me via LinkedIn, Instagram or YouTube. For now, leaving you with intentions for healing and collaborative, innovative regeneration.